So good. Thank you guys for being here. Thanks for joining us online. Hey, hey we all know that there's two, two things in social circles that you don't talk about. Am I right? Like we know this. Number one is politics and number two is what? We don't talk about religion in social circles. So today is Jesus over religion. And in two weeks, I'm going to talk about Jesus over the election. So we're going to get them both. Uh, come on. Somebody's happy about that. You mean just go election right now? Is that what you're saying? Um, but we're going to talk about Jesus over religion. And religion, man, it's a touchy subject. You know, it can break up families. It can cause wars. It can destroy lives. We see this happen with religion. And, and religion's language is everywhere. Have you ever heard this? The devil made me do it, right? A, a religious act. Maybe the devil made you, never made you do anything. That may be what you're saying. But we know this just, when we say things like heaven on earth, we're talking about this religious language. You know that in cooking, there's the Trinity, which is a religious word. I think it's celery, um, onions, and bell pepper. I believe is what the Trinity, like we have this religious language in so many places. And listen, you've never seen more religious people than on a Saturday in college football season in the state of Georgia, Amen. Right? Come on, somebody. Like, we know that we are very religious. You've never seen anybody pray as much as they do during a football game. You can see, man, the kickers line up for the field goal, or maybe it's the last second, and you see the coach on the sideline, you see players on the sideline, you look in the stands and people are praying. They're getting down. Players are on their knees. They're locking arms. They're just praying. And you know they've never thought about God once in their life until that moment. Don't we know this? Like, they are not, they're not spiritual at all, but man, they get religious all of a sudden. But now, Atlanta, we're, we're not very religious. You know why? Because we tried it before and clearly it does not work. And so we, we know what it means to be a religious kind of person and what religion can do. Now, now the definition of religion, uh, just to kind of frame up the topic for the day is this. It's a personal set or an institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, and practices, right? It's something that we adopt personally or maybe it's institutional and it's these practices, it's these rules. Maybe you've, when you think of religion, you think of rules. It's things that we do to, to really kind of get the life that we want. Because there's a life that all of us want. Man, there's something that we want at the end of the day. At the end of this time period that we have on earth, we want to be a certain kind of person. We want to have a certain character quality. Man, we, we've got some goals and some dreams for the end of our life. And so we have practices or rules or, 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 or ideas or attitudes about how to get there. And that's what religion does for us. It answers the big questions of life. What's the purpose? Why am I here? What happens after I die? So you have these religious ideas and religion is supposed to be a roadmap to the life that we want. Let me hear you say roadmap, roadmap. Somebody drop roadmap in the comments. Like religion is supposed to be this roadmap to get me where I wanna go. But too oftentimes, Instead of being a roadmap, religion becomes a roadblock. Have you noticed this? That religion can actually be a roadblock. Listen, we all know people, and maybe some of you included, that maybe you met some religious people or maybe you went to a religious institution and for whatever reason, there were some rules, there were some obligations and they didn't make sense and they seemed to weigh you down. They seemed to hold you back and they seemed to not really get you in the direction that you wanted to go to. You know, I think we've all met people or known people that would claim to be religious and we're like, if that's religious, I don't want no part of that. Like, let's, let's do something different. There's this saying that I love uh, and it says this, Jesus is lost in the religion bearing his name. That in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christianity, that sometimes what happens is we lose sight of what it's really about. And listen, I have to believe this. 
I have to believe that if we could remove some of the religious baggage, if we could remove some of the things maybe we see in the media about the religion of Christianity, if we could remove maybe something somebody taught us or told us or some assumptions that we have about what it means to follow Jesus, and if we could just really begin to try to see him clearly, to understand from the people who walked with him the kind of person that he was and the things that he did and the way that he responded and the way that he acted and the compassion that he had and the love that he showed, if we could just kind of get to that, that I do believe that more people will follow Jesus. Amen. Right. I do believe that that would be the case. And I believe that maybe today there's somebody who just needs to hear this. I believe that maybe for some people today, maybe you're listening online, maybe you're sitting in this room that, that you have had the religion of Christianity kind of, kind of become a roadblock to you. You've equated it maybe with a political system, or maybe you've equated it with who people are for or who people are against, or maybe there's some other thought process you have about the rules of Christianity that don't make sense to you and you've missed the person of Jesus. And so today we want to talk about Jesus over religion. It's not religion versus anything. It's just that Jesus is better than religion. So what does that even look like? So let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in Mark chapter 7 today. Mark chapter 7. You'll see some, the words will definitely come up on your screen, but also would love for you to turn there. Maybe you have your phone, you can turn there. Maybe you have a, a, a hard copy Bible. We'd love for you to turn so that you can read along with us and you know how to kind of get back to it maybe during the week when you thought of some questions. Now, now, just to get to this particular part of the story, Jesus has just performed some miracles. He did that walking on water thing. Like that was pretty cool, wasn't it? Like Jesus walks on water. Um, he also heals someone and then uh, he, he feeds 5,000 men and then about 15,000 people with just a few small loaves and fish, what we would call a lunchable in today's culture. And so now what's happening is, is there's some questions that have, are coming up from religious people. So watch this in verse one of chapter seven. It says, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Now, let me just explain this right here. So the Pharisees are just like the religious professionals, okay? They're kind of like the pastors of the day. They knew some stuff about religion. Then you had the scribes. Scribes were lawyers, they were very well trained in all the intricacies of the rules. Like if you, were to, if you were to work on the Sabbath or not, if you broke a rule here or not, like they were in charge of instant replay, as it were. They could go back and look and say, yeah, you broke the law or no, you didn't. So that's the scribes. They came from Jerusalem, which is the religious epicenter of the Jewish world. So everything clouding this story is clothed in religion. And it goes on to say that they saw some of his disciples, meaning Jesus' disciples, who were not from the religious establishment, says that they, that they ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Okay, so defiled means that that's a spiritual term, a religious term. It means something about my relationship with God. It means something about kind of ceremonially being unclean. It says they ate without washing their hands. And this is for the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they wash their hands properly holding to the traditions of the elders. And when, they come from the, and when they come from the marketplace, they don't eat unless they wash. Now, now let's not overlook that either. It says marketplace. Now, when it says marketplace, it's not just saying, hey, they were out in public. Like this is a value statement about the people who were at the marketplace. There were people at the marketplace who were not religious. There were people there who didn't follow the rules. So now they've been around people. And just by being around them, all of a sudden, they were spiritually or ceremonially unclean. So this is more than about hand washing, we can tell. And then it goes on to talk about how much they like to wash stuff. It says, there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. It says, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? 
So because they didn't wash their hands physically, they, they, he, they said that they had defiled hands. In other words, they weren't worthy to come into the presence of God. Now, is this a question about washing hands? Like, do we think that Jesus didn't like clean hands? Listen, we know something about clean hands, don't we? Like, we know something. Hello, COVID-19. We know something about clean hands, don't we? Listen, here's the thing. We, we love clean hands. Like, you may get somebody that says, I ain't wearing no mask. I ain't wearing no mask. I don't care what they, I ain't wearing no mask. Like, you'll hear people say that, and some people say it, but you never hear anybody say, I ain't washing my hands. I ain't washing my hands. Right? Every, no, you don't want anybody to know you didn't wash your hands. Like, think about this. You go in the bathroom today. Let's say you walk in the men's bathroom, and you walk in, and you, you know, and you you wash your hands and you notice somebody comes in there and they don't wash their hands. After the service, you walk up and they introduce themselves to you. Like, what are you doing? Man, I got a cold. Like, you don't want to catch it from me. I, like, we get this idea about clean hands. Like, we know what it means to wash hands, but, but the hygiene is not the issue. Germs is not the issue. As a matter of fact, do you know that there are, you have more bacteria on your cell phone then 10 times more, according to the University of Arizona, 10 times more germs and bacteria on your cell phone than on a toilet seat, right? You need to wash your hands, right? We, we know this, but this is not the issue. And the issue is this symbolism that's involved here that if we're not careful, we'll miss out on. Like this symbolism that, that hands that are clean just symbolized to the religious people that they were worthy before God, that they were blameless before God. And in Psalm chapter 23, it says it this way. It says, who will ascend the hill of the Lord? And who will stand in his holy place? In other words, who can approach God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands and a pure heart. The hands washing was supposed to be this evidence that my heart is what needs help. My heart is what's not clean. My heart is where the problem is. And so, but what happens with the, with the religious establishment is that religion makes this symbol of washing hands into the standard. They focus on this rule rather than focusing on what the rule was meant to help. They focus on this, this, this symbol rather than on the roadmap that it was supposed to unpack for people. And here's what the implication of this is for people like me and you, right? When we see that there's this idea of symbolism somewhere, we need to know what the symbolism is for. Like what would the symbolism of washing hands be for? Now in Christianity, the symbol for us is not, we don't wash hands, do we? What do we do? Anybody know? What do we do? Somebody drop it in the comments. You know what we do. What do we do with water? We baptize. We baptize people, right? We dunk them in the water, right? That's what we do. We dunk people in the water. Why? So they can get clean. And when people who are really dirty, they stay under longer. Did you know this? We hold you under longer. That's a joke. Come on. You can laugh, right? We baptize. So don't think that it's just washing hands. We have this symbol. And some people get baptized thinking it's going to wash something off and make them guilt-free. They think it's going to make them clean before God. And they miss the meaning of the symbol, which is what Jesus is trying to get at too. Now, what this tells us is that there's always a standard, right? In religion, there's a standard. There's a list of rules. You know, if you were to say Judeo-Christian ethic, you would have the, the Ten Commandments. You know, you have some rules, you have certain behaviors, you have a benchmark that you're to live up to. There's, there's what we like to call a yardstick. You remember a yardstick from when you were in school? Like I remember the other day we were, my wife and I were in Lowe's and there was a yardstick and I remember a yardstick. Like I, I cringed when I saw it. I'm like, oh, there's a yardstick. Cause we had, I had a teacher in the sixth grade, Miss Baldwin and Miss Baldwin had a yardstick. 
And the yardstick is just symbolic of, of measuring up, of meeting the standard. And there were times she would walk by and she would smack my desk and I would wake up because I was asleep. Or maybe she'd reach across and she would hit me in the back of the head and it was painful. And like for some people, that's how religion operates, isn't it? It's like, oh, the rules and I, I didn't live up to it. I didn't make it. I, there's this rule. There's this standard. There's this behavior. There's this attitude. There's something I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not doing. There's something I did and I'm not supposed to do it. And religion just tends to inflict pain on us. And Jesus says, wait, 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 we got to get to the symbol of what's behind all that. Now, now with religion, there's three things. There's this, these rules, there's this standard, there's this benchmark that we know we're supposed to follow. But the second thing is we don't. We don't measure up. We don't always get it right. And the third thing is there's a problem. Like there's a problem when that happens. And it's no secret that we don't meet the standard. Listen, we all know that. Like me and you both, like we have all missed the standard. There's nobody you will ever meet, nobody you'll ever talk to, nobody you'll ever see that hasn't had to apologize for something. They haven't done something they didn't want to do. They haven't maybe not lived up to maybe a religious standard, but even, even our own standards sometimes we don't live up to. Like there's nobody that hasn't ever maybe twisted the truth just a little bit. There is, there's nobody who hasn't broken a relationship and there's nobody who hasn't stepped into something and known, man, I shouldn't do this. Or there's nobody that has always done the right thing every single turn of their life. Like we all get that, that we don't live up to the standard. We, we all know this. And the problem with this is that it creates this conflict with, with God. And there's some things that we've done back there that we can't undo, like that we can't go back and fix, that we can't, you know, go back in time and try to do the thing we know we should have done or not say the thing we know we shouldn't have said or say the thing we should have. Like we can't go back in time to do that. And, and it's more than washing, right? Is parent, there's some parents in the room, if you're like me with, with adult kids. Man, there's some times I can look back on, think, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Wish I wouldn't act like that. Wish I could go back and fix that. Man, there are some of you in a broken marriage right now and you can't undo the fact that you were unfaithful to your spouse. Like there's some of you at work, you cut some corners and you can't go back and put those corners on. Man, man there's some people who are just living with this level of regret and guilt and shame that comes and it is real because we didn't meet the standard. Man, we need something we need to get washed. We need to get clean. So what, how do we do that? Man, it's, it's about more than washing hands. See, religion makes the symbol the standard. And we end up living with this guilt. And so the Pharisee would say, wash your hands. And we would have our own set of behaviors if you're in 2020 Christianity. Hey, you know what you should do? You should just listen to more worship music. You should turn off talk radio. You should, you should read your Bible more. You should listen to your Bible while you're driving. Man, you should, you should get in another small group. That's what you should. I know you're in three right now, but you need another one so that you can get clean. We have our own list of things that we try to do that we double down on. And, and that's missing the point. And Jesus, if you notice how he confronts religious people, he, 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 he hates religious people. He was always very harsh and sharp with religious people because what happens is they served as a roadblock to people, understanding who he was and the life that they could have without him, without religion. Now, and he goes on to, finish, to talk about this. You'll notice maybe in your Bible you have red letters that are actually the words of Jesus. So Jesus um, kind of chastises 
the Pharisees, he says this, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? So he calls them hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? It's someone who wears a mask. Now, some of you got turned off to Christianity because you felt like the church is full of hypocrites. And you know what I would say to that? You are right. <laughs> like we, we all have this level of wanting to do something that we don't do. Now, technically, that's just being a fallen human being. We're not doing it on purpose. So Jesus chastises them for doing it on purpose. They would pretend to be good even though they knew they weren't good with God. So he says, you hypocrites, you guys are wearing masks. He says, this, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips. In other words, they say the right things. They, they, they look like they're doing the right things. They're in the game, but their heart is far from me. And right there you have the difference between religion and Jesus. Religion is about saying the right things, doing the right things, the outward symbol. But Jesus is, came to change our heart. That's what Jesus came to do. Then he goes on to say, in vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrines, the commandments of men. He says, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So Jesus has just chastised them and he's getting, us, he's getting to the heart of the matter, no pun intended. And then Jesus wants to be sure they get the point. And so he, he continues to tell the story and he continues to explain in a parable in verse 14. Jesus says, he called the people to him again and he said to them, now, now here's what's happened because he's already told the Pharisees, he's gathering everybody else around. He's saying, this is really important. He says, you don't want to miss this. It'd be like, hey, you know, I saw something happen and I can't let it go. I don't, I want to be sure that you understand this is not right. And I want you to be clear on what I'm talking about. And so he gathers the people around and he tells them, tells them this. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that going into him can defile him. But what the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the, the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said, then are you also without understanding, Jesus said? Don't you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside can't defile him? In other words, can't make him unclean, can't make him unworthy, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Thank you for bacon, Jesus, right there. Thank you very, very much. In verse 20, he said, what comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile the person. So Jesus says, it's what's in here that's the problem, not what's out there. It's not the fact that you broke the rules. It's the fact that your heart is dirty and your heart needs cleaning. Now, I just want to say this about rules for a minute because there, we, we, you have to be honest, intellectually honest when it comes to Christianity. There are behaviors that we, we, that we engage in, right? There's a certain standard. There, there are certain things that we look at. Now, how, how does that work? What are they for? How are we supposed to view them? And rules, the standards that we have are intended to be a roadmap. And, and let me give you an example. Let's say that you're, have you ever, have you ever been someone, and I know that we have, and I think you have too, like maybe you've been driving and you're going maybe home or somewhere you go regularly and you're the one driving and you, you just get lost in la la land and you miss the turn. Anybody ever done that? Like, yeah, we, we've all done this. You're going somewhere, you missed the turn. You don't know how you missed it. Now, you know, now you got to turn around and you're like, or, or maybe you look at like, hey, what road am I on? How did I get here? Now, if you put ways on, it's going to tell you, turn here, take the next right. Or it's going to reroute you and detour you. 
And this is what rules have this ability to do. Sometimes maybe we don't know. We need some standards to kind of keep us in the, on the right path to know where to turn. Or maybe sometimes there's a, a road, uh, there's an accident up ahead and we need to know it. And so the rules, the behaviors, they're going to alert us that there is some danger ahead. This is the way the rules are supposed to work. So let me give you an example specifically from the Bible. There, there's a lot of things in the Bible about being generous. And so there's this thing in the Bible called a tithe. You heard of a tithe? Everybody heard of a tithe? Online, you heard of a tithe? Hey, somebody drop like a dollar sign in the chat right now, right? I mean, we've heard this idea of tithe. Now, now for a lot of people, tithe just means the money I give to the church. It could be $20, it could be $20,000, just the money that I give. Now, in the Bible, though, it's not that ambiguous. In the Bible, a tithe means 10% of everything that comes in. 10%, like before Uncle Sam, before my retirement, before my vacation, like 10%, whatever comes in is what I give back to the church is what we see. Like that's to be this starting point. And, and it's very, very clear that that's the starting point. So what God does, God has given us this idea of a tithe so that we'll understand where we are. And if we think we're generous and we're like the average American and we give about 2% of our income away, we can look at that and say, yeah, you know what? I'm not generous. I thought I was, but this, this roadmap is to help me understand what it means to be generous. You know, in the 10 commandments, it says, this: says, don't steal. And, and the point is not that I wouldn't just, that, that, I, that I would just not steal and not go to jail. The point is that God wants us to be givers and not takers. That God doesn't want us to take from other people because other people are just as valuable as, as, as everybody else. And that God loves them the same way he loves us. So the rules that we see are just intended to be this roadmap to get us to the place where we're doing the things that God wants us to do. And sometimes we don't know them. Sometimes there's danger ahead and it wants to alert us to that because it's always for our good. And this is what the rules are supposed to um, do in our lives. Now, now parents... We've had this, ex this experience and maybe, um, maybe you grew up and you had a sibling. How many people had a sibling in here? That's awesome. How many people were only children? Couple? Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know. Can I raise my hand? Because I'm in more than one person. Um, so think about this. You, let's see if you're a parent or maybe your parents said this to you. Hey, tell your sister you're sorry. Maybe you hit your sister. Maybe you took her toy, whatever. Tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Now, what's your parent going to say to that? Say it like you mean it, right? Say it like you mean it. Here's the problem. They can't make you mean it, can they? They can't make your heart be remorseful. They can't make your heart feel bad. They have no ability to change your heart. And the same is true with rules. Rules ignore the heart. Jesus restores the heart like this is the big difference religion generally comes just to to make us behave to give us some sin management so we can do the right thing but Jesus comes that our hearts can be restored because let me tell you something your heart's broken you ever have you ever thought that I'm heartbroken not about Georgia losing but just about real things in life nobody even laughed at that in here did you laugh online I hope you did because that was funny um you know, we, we get heartbroken. This happened, uh, we, Debbie and I were watching this TV show. I don't even want to say what it is, but we were watching Family Feud this week. Highly intellectually challenging show. You should watch it. Um, but 
Steve Harvey is, is going down and, you know, he's introducing the family and he gets to the end and this family's from New Orleans and he asks this female on the end, he asks her, he says, so have you ever been queen in one of those Mardi Gras parades? And she said, I'm not pretty enough. And her heart was broken, wasn't it? Somebody had given her a message she wasn't good enough. Somebody told her that she didn't measure up. Somebody had led her to believe that that was all there is. I'm not pretty enough. And her heart was broken. And Jesus comes to restore that. Man, in our failures, places where we, we didn't do the things we wanted to do, places where life didn't turn out the way we wanted it to turn out, tragedies that have happened to us, rules have no ability to heal those, has no ability to restore those. And Jesus comes to give us an identity. He comes to heal our broken hearts and to set us Listen, this is the message of the gospel. Can't miss it. Man, the message is not that you show up on Sunday, even though that's part of it, right? Because that's when we worship Jesus. The message is not that you would get in a group. The message is not that you would give your money. The message is that you can have your heart set free. You know, there's some things that are natural outflows when your heart is healed and whole. You know what I'm going to do? If my heart is healed and whole and I see you in need, guess what I'm doing? I'm going to give something to you. I'm going to give you my time. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to find somebody to help you because my heart is there. That is the point. This is the story of the gospel. And this is why Jesus is better. And Jesus is better than religion because he comes to restore my heart. I mean, the heart is my motivation. The heart is the seat of my emotions. The heart is how I make decisions. Man, if your heart is in something, you're all in, right? Man, if your heart's not in it, then you, you may or may not can do your best. But if your heart's in it, you're always going to give your best effort. This is the story. And our hearts have been broken in so many ways. Man, your heart may have been broken through some sin that you've committed, some things that you've done that you regret and you can't figure out how to get clean. Man, your heart can be broken because somebody else broke it, because somebody else did some things to you that, man, they shouldn't have done. This is why Jesus gives us the power to forgive people. Listen, your heart can be broken because you haven't, your dreams haven't come true. You're, you haven't lived up to your dreams. Your heart can be broken because you thought you'd be married by now. Your heart can be broken because you thought you'd have kids by now. Listen, your heart can be broken in so many ways. And Jesus comes to restore and heal your heart. This is the message of the gospel. Now, now how do we get, how, how do we have our hearts changed? Because that's difficult. You know, how do you reach somebody's heart? Like the first way to have your heart change is just by saying, okay, I'm broken. Man, man I, we just have to admit our weakness, admit that we need some help, admit that we are broken. And we just need to say that we're broken people. And I tell you what, in this culture, in this location, that is hard to do. Somebody say amen right there. You know you believe it. You ride these streets, you live in these houses, you go to shopping in this area, everything's perfect, isn't it? Nobody seems broken. Everyone is dressed as nice as I am. That's funny right there, okay? Everybody seems to have it get together. Everybody's kids are excelling. Nobody's kids are depressed or anxious or failing. Nobody's kids are suicidal. Everything, we've been taught how to paint the outside exactly what Jesus is talking about. But Jesus came for something better. Watch this in John chapter 15. Jesus says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. So think about it. The scriptures have kind of the religious practices that I should execute. He says, because you think in them you're going to find life. You're going to find what you're looking for. You're going to get the big questions of your life answered. He says, yeah, but they bear witness about me. All of that. 
This whole book is not so you can know what to do, but it's so that you can know Jesus. That's the point. And so that your heart can be restored. Then he goes on to say, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he tells this to the religious leaders. This is the point of the Bible. Like this is who Jesus is. One way that you can have your heart changed is by someone sacrificing for you. Like, like have, you ever, have you ever had maybe a parent sacrifice for you so that you can maybe go to college or so you can have a better life? I hope all four of my kids are raising their hand right now. Come on, I know you are. Like, have you ever had someone just give something for you? Like, man, I don't, I don't know what I'd do without you. And so this is what Jesus has done. We couldn't reach the standard. Like we couldn't live up to the standard. We couldn't live up to perfection because that's the, that's the standard for God. So Jesus did. Like, can you imagine that? Jesus was perfect. He never had to apologize to anybody. He never had to say, I'm sorry. He had never had to circle back and say, hey, what I meant to say was. Jesus never did anything. He never disobeyed his parents. Amen. What in the world? Like Jesus, all oh, he was perfect. But how does that connect with me? And here's where we fix the real problem of the heart. Because we've sinned and fallen short, our heart is disconnected from God. And just because Jesus lived a perfect life, that doesn't connect me with God. What connects me with God is that Jesus paid the penalty for my failure to live up to the standard that he sacrificed on the cross, that he died and paid the penalty so that now I can be looked at like I have what he did, the perfection of Jesus. That because he paid the penalty for all my imperfection, he paid the penalty for all of my sin because he paid the penalty. Now I get that perfection. I get to live as if I am perfect, as if I never dropped the ball, if I never broke the commandments. This is how I get to live. This is called the gospel. And so now I get connected to God. Now, now, religion, what religion says is try harder. Hey, try harder. Hey, have you noticed this? Like if you don't live up to the standard, let's say in religious circles, maybe you grew up with some religious ideas and your parents kind of helped you in that. And you, 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 you drop the ball and you, you're not living the life you want. Generally, what we do is we try harder. It's like, I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to get into more groups. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to listen to more worship music. I'm only going to listen to Christian radio. I'm going to send my kids to, you know, religious school. We tend to try harder. And so what we're doing is doubling down on the thing that didn't work in the first place. But what Jesus comes along and says, hey, trust me. Religion says try harder. Jesus says, trust me. I got you. Man, I'll forgive you of your sin. I will connect you back to God. I will set your heart free. I will restore your heart. I will make it whole. I'll make it whole. I'll redeem whatever was broken in the past and I will work it for your good. Like this is the offer of Jesus. This is the best news possible, church. This is the news that that a dying world needs to hear. They need to know that Christianity is not about what they're watching in the media. It's not about the the leaders that fall, but it's about the Savior who rose from the dead. Listen, we have a king who's worthy of worship. Now, I I know a little bit about about trying hard. You know, I I grew up in a religious Christian home. And, um, man, I went to my first two years of college, like many of you, and I just lost my mind, you know. I had no purpose. I had no clarity. Um... Anybody experienced that their first two years of college, first year of college, first 10 years of college, maybe, man, first year, I call these two years, the dark years. Cause like, I just, 
I don't want to remember them. I was just aimless. I was wandering. And I woke up one morning. I'm like, man, I got to do something. Like, I got I to, I'm, I'm going to end up somewhere I don't want to end up. Like, this lifestyle is not answering the big questions of my life. And so I just packed up from college and I moved home for a semester and just tried to sort things out. And man, I started working hard. Let me tell you. I went back to college and turned my GPA upside down in a good way. Man, and then Debbie and I got married and I, I got a, my job. I worked as an actuary and I would be the first one at work, the last one to leave because I was going to work hard and I was going to let everybody else know it. Man, I wanted the outside to look good. And then we got, we got connected into a church and man, I did everything. I served, I led, I volunteered, I gave and everybody would thought, man, he's got it together. Man, that, that young man's going places. But in my quiet time, alone at home, something was missing. And I was broken. I was restless. I couldn't understand what was happening. I thought I was doing all the right things, but I wasn't having this sense of purpose and fulfillment. My heart wasn't being restored. And so one morning, it's just me alone with my Bible. And I read this story out of the Bible and these words just began to echo in my mind. It says, you've done all these things yet you don't know me. You don't know me like you're religious. You're trying hard. You're following the rules. But, but that's not what it's about. It's about knowing me and following me because I paid for you. I paid the price for you. And in that moment, I just said, God, I'm done. Man, I'm going to quit trying. I mean, I'm going to let you handle it. And it doesn't mean that I didn't work hard. It doesn't mean that I'm not trying to do my best. But it means that man, I just trust that God has got me and that Jesus is better than religion. I think there's a lot of people like that. You know what you are? Tired. Tired of trying. Tired of trying to figure it out. Man, you're tired of working so hard for what? Let me tell you, Jesus has done all the work for you today. Let's pray. So just in the moment, let's just bow our heads and let's just be still for a moment. And I would just say, look at your heart, man. What is it that's broken? How is your heart broken? What, what regrets do you have? Man, what pain do you feel? Like what's your greatest sorrow? You know, sometimes our situation will make our hearts open to change, open to be restored. And maybe a message that you heard when you were a kid or an adult from a parent or a teacher or a coach or a friend or a spouse or an ex-spouse or, man, it may be a message you just lived with and God just wants to restore that through his presence. You know, and as we just bow and think about, I believe that some people are realizing that they've been trying really hard and they've never trusted Jesus, that he is perfect, that he died for your sins, he rose again so you can have life. And so in this moment, I'm just gonna give you an opportunity to respond to that. Give your heart an opportunity to respond and just to say yes to Jesus. You know, if you've never made that decision to follow him today, I'm just gonna encourage you today. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, give you an opportunity just to make this commitment of your heart to God. And it's not the fact that I lead you in some words, but it's the fact that this is your commitment, your posture of your heart to God today. Dear God, I've tried to do it on my own and I don't stand a chance. 
I trust that Jesus came for me to have life, to forgive me of my sin, and to show me the way forward. You know, and the Bible says that if you prayed that, in that moment that, that you are now on a different road in life, that you're on a road to follow Jesus, not on a road to religion. And I just want to help you in this moment just to, just to solidify this moment, to, just to mark this moment today. It could be the most important, it will be the most important moment in your life. And it will change everything. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are in, in the room. Maybe you're online. Maybe you're on your, on your back deck or sit in your couch with your family. I'm just going to count to three. I'm going to ask you if that's you today, just to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. And as we just celebrate that today, that we just celebrate that people are new. We just celebrate that people are following Jesus. We just celebrate the fact that people are moving beyond the rules into a relationship, a connection with God. Lord, we know that sometimes we get misunderstood as those of us who follow you. God, that people will think we're judgmental or we're hateful, but God, that we just wanna be people who reflect the love of Jesus, that we're people who, who show people who you are. And God, if we can help remove the baggage and remove the roadblocks from people's lives, we know that their lives will be different. And God, we just wanna be a church that's sold out to that, that's sold out to the person of Jesus. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.